It's her, it's her like telekinetic rage that's taking over and doing the sex work. Like, what? This is adult lady work. Yeah. What if that was my only problem with this movie? That's not how a virgin has sex. Thumbs down. Welcome to 1999 The Podcast. I'm John Brooks. I'm Jen Tisdale. Jen, how are you? It was recently Thanksgiving, as you recall, several days ago. Uh, how Well, do you like Thanksgiving? Are you a Thanksgiving fan? Do you like... Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to state the obvious that the concept of Thanksgiving is not a favorite thing of mine, but if I just think of it as a nice meal... Nice day. I think so, but I have a, it's just me and my mother and we've whittled it down to just the two of us now. Um, We, we killed everybody in a rage, Carrie two style. Mm -hmm. No. And uh, so for the first year ever, we're going to dinner. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, but then you don't have leftovers and that's truly all I can think about. I'm like, oh, I keep saying we're not going to have leftovers in like this panic. You can still have leftovers. Just order way more than you need. And then you will have plenty of leftovers. I'm just, I, I just bring, I'm putting everything in a Tupperware container to start. They're like, do you have a plate? I'm like, I'm okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. So do you, you have a real life family. You're a real boy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also my daughter's birthday uh, oh, no. this year. So like every few years, her birthday falls on Thanksgiving. So but that's kind of neat. Cause then you get this really yeah. nice dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also she gets like three different birthdays leading up to it, you know. So we had the party this weekend. Uh her 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 birthday party was um going to see the Taylor Swift movie concert thing. So I sat mm. through all three hours of that. Um so that was an experience. I, I don't I have a lot me. of complicated feelings about Taylor Taylor Swift that I don't know, maybe they make sense for this motion picture. Who can say? She's a mm-hmm. very powerful lady, just she like is. just like our gal, not Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a movie free of carries well, let's still well, call it spoilers uh yeah, yeah no but i uh yes i have to go do all the family things all day no i'm pretty jealous of people who do something really intense my yeah my editor where i work she her, her family has a theme every year and it's like it appears to be location based a lot so this year i, I want to say she says it's italy so sort of there's like an Italy okay. vibe to the to the Thanksgiving meal and like very intense Italian Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. another friend of mine, Tim, his dad makes this very intense Excel spreadsheet that every year Tim will put on social media and like the intensity of like when everything has to go into the oven or onto the stove or whatever. Uh-huh. It's, it's so pre- it's so precise. I envy that. My mom and I are just it's just the two huh? I'm gonna the FCC can ding us for that. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of just a, a little, just a little lonely, Miss Lonely Hearts mm. over here. Uh, well, if it makes you feel better, today's movie is Speaking about. Speaking of a mother and daughter. Coming together uh, <laughs> to celebrate something. And um, I think it goes well. If I, I don't remember how it ends. All right. Anyway, today's movie finished at number 91 at the domestic box office. Just ahead of Go, and just behind the Melissa Joan Hart slash Zach Grenier vehicle, Drive Me Crazy. Uh, get it? <sighs> vehicle, Drive I, Me Crazy? That's true. I love that. All movie. three are teen romps. So 
basically the same movie three times over. Opening at number two on March the 12th, importantly, a month pre-Columbine. We'll talk about that later. And sandwiched between Analyze This at number one and Cruel Intentions at number Ooh. three and taking in $7 million before going on to gross $17.8 million during its run on a $21 million budget. So it did, in fact, lose some money, but um, not didn't lose a ton of money. I guess that's something. Starring Emily Burgle, Jason or Jeremy London, Dylan Bruno, <laughs> Zachary Ty, Brian, Rachel Blanchard, Amy Irving, reprising her role as Sue Snell, American Pie's Mita Suvari, and American Pie's Eddie K. Thomas. Tonight, we are discussing what many consider a direct sequel to American Pie, The Rage, Carrie 2. Oh, my God. Jen, yes. what is The Rage, Carrie 2 well, I'll tell you what, it's not about Carrie. <laughs> the Rage no, Carrie. <laughs> no. No. I really wanted the main character's name to be called name name to be Carrie too and not Rachel. Maybe it's like just like T O U or some sort of like it's French. She's French. Carrie Jr. Uh, Carrie as well. Yeah. Uh, the Rage Carrie too is a semi-spiritual sequel to Carrie and that a woman is definitely angry at terrible people. In this version, the monstrous toxic masculinity and rape culture with a soundtrack that feels like every rejected band from Woodstock 99, which also plays into this, I might add. So true. I, it focuses. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. It yeah. was, I have mm -hmm. so many thoughts. And also, do you know, we'll get into it, but Zachary Ty Bryant. Is that oh, oh, we're going to talk about okay. Zachary this Ty is, Bryant. This feels like a, a foreshadowing. Okay. It focuses <laughs> on Rachel Lang, as you said, played by Emily Burgle, who, like Carrie, is fatherless and trapped with an unwell mother played by Succession's own J. Smith Cameron. Mm. Unlike her predecessor, Rachel is far more hip to the wily ways of the world, but that doesn't stop her from falling in love with the high school jock, the soulful Jesse Ryan. As you said, it's played by one of the London brothers. Who can say? Jason. Don't worry. He's not like <laughs> other boys. And those other boys are having sex with high school girls, then grading them on a point system, which is based on a true story that we will get into. This is this leads to the suicide of Rachel's best friend, which reignites her long hidden telekinetic powers, which reach a fever pitch at a deeply unrealistic party. Mm. It's only saving grace is the incredible kills and the heavy handed Romeo and Juliet style death of Rachel. This is Carrie two. The rage. The rage. I know Carrie I keep forgetting two. the rage part. I'm sorry. It, there was certainly a lot of rage. Against a lot of machines. <laughs> <laughs> that CD player was really, really had it coming. Oh, my God. The Rage Carrie 2 began its life sometime in the mid-90s as The Curse, colon, not Carrie anything. A fully original movie, totally unconnected to the Carrie franchise. Carrie-verse? There is a reboot. Carrie, there is a CCU. There is a reboot. There's an original. There's a sequel. So there's a Carrie franchise. Uh, until uh, and there's also a television movie that apparently is pretty good. So there's two remakes. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, until some genius noticed, hey, isn't this basically Carrie? With that, an intern was dispatched to see what Amy Irving was up to lately, and the Rage Carrie Two was born. Burgle had already signed on to play the lead role in The Curse, on which production was set to begin in 1996. But due to the film's sudden carification, <laughs> didn't start filming until two years later. 
Uh, and of course, any later than that, and it would not have been released at all because it would have been past Columbine and you would not have released this movie after April the 20th no, of 1999. The film's plot was inspired by the story of the Spur Posse, a thing that we will talk about a little bit later on. Um, so hold that thought but jen and i who are both people in the 1990s and teenagers who went to health class know all about the spur posse so Mm -hmm. we'll get to that the movie was written by Raphael moreau a fairly obscure screenwriter whose only other credits are 11 episodes of the x-files spinoff the lone gunman and more importantly the 1996 cult classic hackers i love that movie so much we all do It was directed by Kat Shea, who stepped in when School Ties director Robert Mandel stepped away over creative differences, forcing several reshoots. Shea was best known for directing the 1992 psychosexual thriller Poison Ivy, starring Drew Barrymore, Cheryl Ladd, Tom Skerritt, Sarah Gilbert, and Leonardo DiCaprio. It was Shea who was responsible for the use of scenes from the original Carrie edited throughout the film when she showed that version with those scenes to Carrie Prime, Sissy Spacek herself, who gave Shea the green light to use her likeness. The Rage was neither a critical nor commercial success, but full disclosure, it absolutely rules, so everyone got this one wrong. Wow, we are in such disagreement other than <laughs> other than you know a lady destroying bad people which yeah. i always love yeah. i no, i love this movie so much really struggled with this one it has a 23 percent on rotten tomatoes with a 33 percent audience score and a 42 metacritic rating with a 4.0 audience score among the more savage reviews Dessen thompson in the washington post who wrote quote the only reason to watch this the grisly reward irving receives for being in this picture more lukewarm <laughs> was someone who does not like Amy Irving or Sue Snell. Or like Sue Snell, which let's face yeah. it, she did. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. She sucks. Uh, more lukewarm was Mary Elizabeth Williams in Salon, whose review concludes, quote, It's true that one doesn't approach the follow-up to a two-decade-old gore fest expecting to be dazzled. The surprise of the movie is that it actually does have a talented director and star. It doesn't begin to make up for the low quality of the story or the numerous other unfortunate elements, but it does suggest little flash- flashes of something that, with more thought, might actually have been somewhat interesting. The successor to Carrie may have been called The Rage, but it's mostly just an exercise in mild frustration over what might have been. But critics almost universally singled out Burgle's performance, for which she was nominated for a Saturn Award as a genuine highlight. And the film received genuinely positive reviews from Owen Gleiberman in the Entertainment Weekly, Mark LaSalle in the San Francisco Chronicle, and Amy Taubin in The Village Voice, whose Metacritic score is a 90 and who concluded, quote, Fathers, father surrogates, and boys who unquestioningly emulate their dads are the collective villain of the rage. Shea tears through the macho facade of jock culture to show the squirmy castration anxiety underneath. Bend over and pull down your pants, yells the coach at a player who has been slacking off. The craziest scene. (laughs) Somehow that's the craziest scene in this movie. Somehow. (laughs) I thought I'd find a tampon string hanging from your ass. No, why would you? 
It's a neatly feminist twist on the shower scene in Carrie, and there are about a half dozen other twists that are just as sharp. Shay gets into trouble, however, when she uses the bits of the original Carrie as flashbacks. The two films don't seem to take place in the same world, let alone the same small town. The film nearly goes down the tubes in the scenes where Amy Irving recapitulates her role as Sue Snell, one of the survivors of Carrie White's senior prom shenanigans. Shenanigans. I never never could stand Sue Snell, and given the fate assigned her here, I suspect Shay felt likewise. Inside the rage Carrie 2, a smart, realist drama is taking form. If Shay could free herself from the genre trap, she might make some great films in the future. Still, you take what you can get, and I wouldn't be surprised if this one winds up on my top 10 list for 99. Whoa. Where's that list? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, uh, I don't know, but I found that review really interesting. I think, Anyways, you know, as with all things, I'm really going to have a problem taking the 1999 of of it out because i guess i i can only see it through my 2023 eyes and it was so 1999 yeah you texted me and you thought that stigmato was very 1999 i think or was that or did you text me about carrie too i said i said i know we found a movie that is more 1999 than stigmata is this one is even down to the tattoo Oh no! This is by far the 1999ist movie ever made. It is. It is it's dripping, pretty, dripping. It's pretty aggressive, but it's also probably not aggressive. It's just 1999. But now looking back, it feels like a bunch of tropes and a bunch of. But that really was what it was like. I just I was living in LA, so I don't know what. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's um. Yeah, we'll talk more about this, but like. It is also a very specifically pre-Columbine, again, 1999 oh, movie. Oh, you, because... you could never. You could well, never. No. Nope. Nope. So, Jen, who is joining us to talk about the Rage Carry 2 today? This is a very, very good guest. He's a friend, which I think should probably be included somewhere in this bio. And yet, and yet I'm not seeing friend of Jen Tisnell anywhere in this bio. I assume no. <laughs> moving forward, that will be part of his bio. Today, we are speaking with Paul Haynes. He is a writer best known for his work with true crime writer Michelle McNamara on her best-selling book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and for having appeared in and served as co-executive producer on the eponymous HBO docuseries. He loves 90s cinema and mm-hmm. horror movies and mm-hmm. would agree that 1999 was perhaps the greatest single year in film history. Smart guy. Smart guy. Told Smart you. guy. That's right. <laughs> Well, Paul, welcome to uh, to our little our little shindig here. Ooh. Thank you for thank you for watching this movie uh, on fairly short notice, so that we can yeah, no problem. It's my I first time first time watching it. Oh, so you're a brand new rager. You're new to the rage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I see. Jen is not. She's not on the uh, on the rage train. She's I not sh- on the I, rage train. I'm so sorry. I should like it. I know I should. Everything in my body should love it when a woman kills a bunch of men. <laughs> And yet, here I am. You're skipping to the end. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, you've, Paul, you have you have one day's experience with the rage. Uh, I do. Jen, less, you have, less than. You have about a week. Less than hours. Yeah, That's I not have, long. Yeah. No, I have. You're going to be the freshest. You might be reminding us about things because, as you know, my memory is garbage. Well, I first saw it 24 years ago. Oh and, my God. uh, well, 24 and like a half year. You ago. saw that in theaters. Now, Paul, I did. I you, did. You, Paul had a, had an opportunity 
opportunity not too long ago to uh, see this motion picture in theaters. I did. did you not? Yeah, I think, uh, it screened at the New Beverly here in Los Angeles, and I planned to go, and and something else came up, unfortunately. So had to watch it at home. Was that for like a like a carry? film festival or just like just this one movie yeah it's this and, and the sex in the city movies so. <laughs> yeah um you know that's a great question uh i'm gonna uh, new beverly they screen um they screen repertory year round uh they change they, they do double features typically um every two days they change uh the double feature and uh it was paired with pet cemetery too Oh. Oh. Okay. So the theme was shitty Stephen King sequels. Stephen King sequels. Directed by women. Directed by women. Oh no! It's a a micro theme. (laughs) Uh, I guess that it's it's everyone was right when they were saying about lady directors we can't be trusted. Don't give us any source material. We'll mess it up. John, as a reminder, and I, I, I for forbid and forbade. Paul from doing any research on this movie, though normally <laughs> he would come prepared. Aside from, watching. So aside from watching it, he would come prepared. So you should let him know. Yeah. Well, Paul, do you know? Do you know the genesis of this movie? Uh, is it, 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 Jen filled me on yesterday? Damn it, uh, I it did. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but you know, for the sake of your listeners and viewers, are yeah. you have viewers? Oh or? no, we don't let people see us. No. Okay, We're that's old. good. Yeah, that's really yeah. We are uh, we are unwell physically. That, that would not be nice. Like lighting set up and everything, and now I can just <laughs> look at you. How do you look great? Yeah, just throw it a out. Video of you, and then put that on with just our voices. I know. We, you look great, and I couldn't be shrouded <laughs> in more darkness. I don't know what's happening. Paul's so. the telegenic so, one. So, for the benefit of your listeners, Jen, why don't you? Why don't you kill? Oh, It was originally called the. Curse, curse correct and it curse. was not yeah. a carry sequel at all nothing, nothing. Yeah. had nothing no. to do whatsoever with the original and then what happened somebody said hey doesn't this seem a little bit like carry and everyone just went <laughs> sure and they just kind of retconned now it's went, a sequel now it's a yeah. sequel and they inexplicably and confusingly got permission from sissy spacek like is that is she yeah. is she the one who, who allows people to use like Phil, she's like, yes, I own the rights to this motion picture. You may use me in these flashbacks, you know. And please make sure it's the most traumatizing parts of the film. I don't, I yeah. wouldn't want. I want the tampons being thrown at me. I want the scene where I'm covered in blood, not where I'm like spinning in my prom dress, dancing with um, the greatest American hero or whatever. Not at all. No, just the sad part. So, so was the film originally about a, a girl with telekinetic powers? Yeah. yeah, or something. It's 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 not not that, not that Terry is the only other horror film right. about a girl with telekinetic powers. It's Friday Thirteenth no. Part Seven, Ruby. Yeah. Which Ruby was a direct ripoff of Carrie. Uh, all she did was, all she did was glare right? a lot. No, that was tele. What's the actual fire? There's like pyrokinesis. Oh, pyrokinesis. Pyrokinesis. Whatever. All that woman yeah. did from Friday the Thirteenth was glare a lot. I need more energy than that from my telekinesis <laughs> queens. I need to feel the energy. Um. So yeah. So basically, they just decided. I don't know why they decided. It's not like was it an, an anniversary at all? When did Paul, you'll know this. When did the original come out? Was it 76, 77? 
Uh, Don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> I can do that. 76. Yeah, so it's not yeah. like they were like, it's the 25th anniversary. There's no reason. I, I the 23rd anniversary of Carrie. A classic. Well, it was the 20th once they were, because they were they were beginning to, they were going to film it in like 96, right? So it was the, and, and then they had to change everything. Um, so it would have been the 20th anniversary of Carrie. But no, I think it was just sort of like, a maneuver of we're going to make this movie and then someone's like this is basically just Carrie and so it's like rather than it being a rip off and getting sued it's like now it's a sequel um right. which is a great which is a great trick to pull to just make it into a sequel yeah um, if you accidentally rip and try to ride the wave of all those teen kids from the 90s who have yes pa- who have nostalgic memories of 1970 as i said it's also right. a direct american pie sequel so <laughs> it is to be understood as American Pie Port Part Two. <laughs> but then, and then the original, I guess, when it was being kicked around, it was as I was like, as I can't stop talking about the Spur Posse, the Spur Posse, the Spur Posse. It's yes. These. Now, this is Paul. You and I both have complicated relationships with the true crime genre. So, genre. So both of us are allowed to roll our eyes at at the mere mention of it <laughs> and our involvement with it at any time. We get a pass. Uh, but yeah, this is another reason why it's great that you're doing this is because you've you've existed in true crime. I've existed in true crime. And this movie vaguely exists in true crime. As I started to tell you, I think that it was loosely based on or inspired by. Can we say inspired? That seems wrong. Mm. By this horrendous story. There we go. Because inspired seems like, ah, oh, that was, uh, this was so great. I'd love to see it again <laughs> in a different way by these. I heard uh, the Spur Posse story and I was inspired uh, to write you know, this movie. It was really moved where by they those all boys. Up and die. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's yeah. inspiration. Yeah. The Spur Posse out of Lakewood, California, yep. you know, and I, I can't remember how much I told you, Paul. Maybe I blew the whole thing and now we're all just repeating information, but they were inexplicably called the Spur Posse because. Yes. They loved this one particular player on the San Antonio Spurs. Again, they're in California. David Robinson. <sighs> that guy. What a what a curse. His own curse now. <laughs> His, we were that's right. Off af, when we couldn't off camera, we were joking yes. about how his Wikipedia entry should include this, and he's probably just trying to get rid of it. <laughs> just every day editing it out, and somebody puts it back in. So the Spur Posse, obsessed with this specific player, was about 20 to 30, 15 to 17-year-old boys, eight of which were uh, accused of raping or molesting girls as young as 10 mm-hmm. Yep, in a gang competition. Uh, to accumulate points for sexual conquest. Now we all see where where this part now carry too often. Yeah, now we're seeing that's the part that they picked up for the movie, which is sad. Also, just really quick, I want to go through sources as I talk about this. Uh, high school gang accused of this is pretty. There no uh, mincing words here. New York Times high school gang accused of raping for points. <laughs> the New York Times, March nineteen ninety three. Put it out there. I get it. Uh, a June 1993 piece. Drawing inspiration from New York Post, it seems like. Seems uh, like. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it'd be so much worse than the New York yeah. Post. Yeah. <laughs> do you think this is where Chris Hardwick got his idea for At Midnight? Should we cut that out? Points. Anyway. Um, God, that was so Oh, sorry. God. Why did you do that? I'd forgotten everything you just were saying. And cut then, around okay. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or no, keep it fine. in. We'll keep it in. I got points for that. In. Shit. 
gallows humor is allowed. Uh, a June 1993 piece in the LA Times about new charges lodged against a member of the Spur Posse. <laughs> the Lost Boys, not the movie, sadly, <laughs> by Susan Faludi. Someone should sue her. No, I'm kidding. And An American Tragedy, One Spur Posse Mother Struggles to Understand the LA Times. And, you know, that's, you know. Okay. I know. Okay. How did my boy become? I don't, ma'am. Sorry. Yeah. How does that, yeah. Don't care. Mm. So this is just a very crazy story because these boys were arrested on camera. They got a nice little perp walk out of their school. Only one of them was 18 years old. The rest were. So he was the only one who was you know, treated as an adult, charged as an adult. And, uh, According to, and I know I already mentioned this, but these are more information. Lieutenant Joseph R. Sergeant. I wish it was Sergeant. The group had a point system. In each sexual encounter, the individual scored a point. It didn't matter if the girls consented or not. If they consented, it was a point. If they didn't consent, it was a point. I don't want to like critique this. <laughs> I don't want to say there's I, that I don't understand that, but that does seem kind of ridiculous. <laughs> In tears. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most disgusting part about this, and I, I promise we won't stay on this for too long, even though I've just written so much about it as if this is the movie and not the movie itself. I mean, it kind of, it kind of is. When they came back to school, they were applauded. There was a lot of, th- when they were re- released, when most of them, like, only one person ended up going to, like, some sad little prison camp very briefly. People were applauding them. They were, they had t-shirts made for them. Obviously, uh, people were using the boys will be boys excuse. Uh, the, a lot of the victims were described as promiscuous. You know, those promiscuous 10-year-olds. Uh, a lot of students condemned the boys and some defended them as just being like, that. they're just popular and good looking. And that's what you do. Yep. That's what you do. Of the 17 sex-related spur posse cases presented to the district attorney's office in March and April of 1993, 15 were rejected. The one teenager pled guilty was sent to the juvenile camp, as I said, and another faced a single felony charge. But don't worry, they quickly did a nice little media. They did a little media tour. They did a talk. They did the talk show circuit. Ricky Lake and... So mm-hmm. Jesse. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were everywhere. Yep. They appeared yep. on the front page of the New York Times. They were in Newsweek. They were they were in teen magazines like Sassy, oh, Penthouse. Gosh. Wait, that's a teen magazine? <laughs> yep. Okay. No. I remember that. <laughs> they were teen magazines like Sassy, comma, Penthouse. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and I quote, it was difficult to switch channels without running into one spur or another chatting up television personalities. The local mm. paper ran announcements listing their upcoming television appearances under such headlines as Posse Premiere and the Spur Posse on TV. Most of the Spurs interviewed on the talk shows weren't the ones arrested, but it didn't seem to matter as long as they were willing to elaborate on or embellish their sexual ex- exploits. And they were. This is disgusting. Yeah. I should have done a where are they now, but <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great distract fire article. But um, so, yeah, so I guess that makes more sense as to why this movie began in 1996 a, a mere three years after this and this was still happening like years later mem- yeah. members of this of this posse were getting picked up for various other reasons and yeah hard to believe this this didn't actually turn out turn out good for all of them <laughs> so 
Yeah. That's the Spur Posse. And uh, I guess we'll have to s- seamlessly shift back into Carrie, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. So Well, well, I mean, like, the, the, the true criminess of it, we alluded to this earlier, too, is that you got the Spur Posse. And I, I remember, like, as I was watching this again for the first time in 24 years, I, I was like, oh, this reminds me of the Spur Posse. <laughs> and then I did I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's in on purpose. That's that's a thing. You that knew I about actually... that. Paul, had you I don't remember what you said to me when I brought them up. Had you heard of the Spur Posse before? Oh yeah, but I haven't thought about it in years to the to the degree that it, it was really barely accessible in my memory. Wow, John, this really says this is a scathing indictment against what your brain likes to focus on. And we'll talk about that off camera. But I anyway, just no. remember I just remember it from health class. I told you it was in health you class. You did. That's it so was, crazy. Yeah. Like the health teacher was we like, We didn't learn about this. Bird posse is bad and you're going to die of AIDS. And the alpha enjoy, and the omega. Anyway, enjoy 1995. <laughs> I think it came up like once in conversation circa 10 years ago, uh, which is why my memory didn't retain it. Yeah. It seems like there would be, and I didn't beyond this, I can't believe there wasn't like a made for TV. That's too horrific, I guess. It's fun to have a made for TV movie about murder. It's not so fun to have a made for TV movie about rape. Someone, I guess, decided. (laughs) Somewhere along the way, we decided that rape was much worse than murder. Yet we, we do not want to test those rape kits, obviously. But anyway, so I'm like... Very shocked that it hasn't been picked up yet by there's gotta be documentaries somewhere, right? Are we making it right now? Should we make I don't it? think there is. I, like I It seems unusual. This feels like the kind of story, but again, I guess it's just too sad. Well, it's also okay, so speaking of like the other true crime that sandwiches this, and we alluded to this earlier as well, which is that it's it's pre-Columbine by a month that this movie came out, right? And of course, like would not have been released had column you know had it been had it been a month later um and i feel like with the spur posse it's one of those stories along with columbine where like it just happens every couple months now so that like it, there's no point making a documentary because you know stories about young men committing rape and getting away with it is just a thing that happens but this was teenage boys a huge group of them with very yeah. with children and it was a game i don't know it just seems yeah but anyway, back to the movie, guys. How do we get? How do we? <laughs> Idle Hands came out the same around the same time as uh, as the Rage Carry too. I think after. Are you talking about Devin Sawa? The yeah, Devin I believe, Sawa I movie. That film's yeah. uh, commercial performance was hurt by Columbine because that film ends with a uh, school massacre. Right. right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. God. Did that come out? Wait. So was oh was that out while Columbine happened? It came out before. I think it came out uh, like right around the same time the Columbine happened. Yeah, I got. Because they had to postpone the Buffy finale, and like that's right, that's just them killing a snake. So you know, um, that's right. Although the snake eats some of the students. Well, that that because the, all the students obviously armed. They they were armed. And the entire school was armed with guns, but every weapon imaginable. Right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it it opens. Uh, it opened ten days after Columbine. Idle Hands did. Idle Hands did. That's have, shocking. Have, have we done? Have you done that movie? Because I love no, that movie. No, but I think that's interesting because I my memory of Columbine. Um, and Paul, I don't know how old you were when Columbine happened, but my memory of Columbine uh, is 
17. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're old enough to have like had a visceral memory of it. My memory was that everything just got like canceled after that in for you know yeah. if it had any sort of connection to school violence or like youth being killed in any way it was all sort of postponed and canceled but that was the 9-11 of high school culture it was it was and then like maybe though it took some time for that to sink in and so the idle hands kind of was like what do we do i don't know that's yeah. that's a really that's an interesting it's much like donnie darko opening Right. With the, in the wake of 9-11. Didn't, right. and, didn't Mariah Carey's Glitter also like open that day? And it was, <laughs> I don't think that ended with a plane crashing, though. Through it doesn't, but, it takes, but it takes place in New York, famously yeah. in New Wait, York Wait, Glitter City. was 9-11? I Is think that... it was literally. And wasn't another one? Wasn't Dana Carvey's? What was that movie? Not the, Master of Disguise. Master of Disguise. Was that a 9-11? Well, that is the 9-11 of movies. Famously. I love that movie. So. <laughs> I'm Somebody once said to me, you could never be a film critic because you just love too many things. And I'm like, I love this movie. I love that movie. I'm like, yeah, that, that's correct. I'll find Except something gorgeous. not the Rage Carry 2 for some reason. I tried. So so is it established? Have you established, Jen, that you hated the Rage Carry 2? Is it fair to say? It's... it's Okay, I I, I kind of want to. I guess I want to start in the beginning because my memory of it of like uh, my my problem is not that this wo- this young woman gets revenge on a bunch of terrible men. I love that. I will always mm-hmm. love that. That part's great. I just it felt I felt like there must be things on a cutting room floor somewhere there, yeah. or it's just that badly written, which is also po- a possibility. But in terms of her romance, at the very least, like I did not understand how these two people were saying, I love you to each other in this heavy handed Romeo and Juliet esque ending. I didn't understand it. We saw them together a some total of i don't even know two minutes uh, they're on a car they're in the car they're uh they've had a flirtation at the one hour photo booth r.i.p to those <laughs> and then suddenly at the end and i, I know we're going to be jumping around and i think that's okay she's like i love you and he's like i love you and i'm like what <laughs> i don't well he how? said it earlier on the video yes he did how well of course he did you know please post coitus don't believe that ladies if i may <laughs> She was asleep. Exactly. Yeah. Easier. Said. Yeah. That's different. So <laughs> like, and honestly, can I say something really inappropriate that I might ask you to like remove from sure. this podcast later? Yeah. It's about Go that. For it. It's about the sex scene that we really don't see until later in the movie at, at that party scene, which is very good. Yeah. She's a virgin. And the sex scene that they show, I turned to my boyfriend and I said, this is not a person who's <laughs> never had sex. Does everybody remember their first time? I didn't move like that. Is that am her, I... It's her It's her like telekinetic rage that's taking over and doing the sex. <laughs> like what? This is adult lady work. Yeah. Um, uh, so other than that, <laughs> what if that was my only problem with this movie? That's not how a virgin has sex. Thumbs down. Um, yeah. So their relationship just felt... I, I I fully didn't understand yeah. where it was coming from. And also, I know she's, she's saying she cannot cry and she's obviously stuffing her feelings, which is where the powers are going to come out sideways. But she didn't really seem to care that much about her dead friend. That seemed to really pass fairly quickly. That's true. That's true. Fairly yeah. quickly. She's that like, ugh. She sees her. She's, and then she's that. And we're done. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. So I don't know, Paul. Thoughts? 
I liked it. Um, yes, Paul. <laughs> Good job, Paul. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's rough around the edges, and I found that to be the case with uh, other Cat Shea films I've seen. Um, she sometimes lacks a certain finesse with her actors uh, and technical aspects. Uh, but all that said, I, I found it emotionally engaging. I liked Rachel. I cared about what happened to her. And it's really the only 90s genre film that I can think of that deals with uh, rape culture on high school campuses and bro culture directed mm-hmm. by a woman and directed by a woman who, as a filmmaker, I think that she uh, always tries to do something thematically interesting with her with her films from from Strip to Kill to Dance of the Dam to Poison Ivy. Um, none of these are just brain dead genre films. And um I, I feel like it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's really, it, it's it's one of the only horror films I've seen that deals with like the Brock Turner of it all, mm. you know, and the scene where his father is sitting with the principal and there's yep, like yeah. a local politician yeah. and, um, you know, he, he gets it, he gets it swept under the rug. And uh, I don't know, it, 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 feel, it feels progressive in that way. And well, I know, look, now I sound like I'm the... It, I'm the in-house misogynist, but that—that's <laughs> I, I, I appreciate all of those things. Maybe it's a little different when you're a, a gal, uh, and it is a little different when you're a gal. But um, I, I think what I said—I can't remember if I said it during our intro or not, John. So forgive me. But I did liken this to you know, if if it had to be a living, breathing thing, it would be all of Woodstock '99 appropriately yes. because. Yeah. It's picking up right on that weird, angry wave of of men that spawned that event and that lineup and this music and this weird, you know, I, no one knows why they're, they're so angry, but they are so angry. Yeah. But there's there's real anger. There's real anger in this movie. That's one of the things I liked about it in the final scene in particular. Um, there are these like shots of the bros that are like carry. They reminded me of Vic Berger, uh, where the image sort of quakes and 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 uh, ripples, and it's black and white. And it reminded me of like Fritz Lang's M, the close-ups of like the grotesque faces yeah. and the underground uh, layer. Uh, and there's just this real uh, distaste toward that character type. Uh, so it it feels it really it felt like an authentic yeah. work. Yeah, I think I think. The biggest flaw with with the Rage Carry Two is that it, it is called Carry Two. Yeah, yes. I was just about to say, had they separated it, you would not have this preconceived right. notion, or you wouldn't be but attaching. Then wouldn't we just be like, oh, stupid! This is a bad Carry ripoff. I mean, like, and would it I, ever? I, I don't think so. There's so much nine. There's so much modern, like of the modern time within it that I don't think and and. I would have thought that. I don't know. I mean, I think it would have had I think to. They, have been I think much they would have filmed movie. it differently. I think they would have made different uh, choices. I think it would be a bigger budget, better movie f- to get anyone to notice it if it had not been called Carrie Two. And I think that I have is- little doubt that audiences and critics went into it prepared to hate it. Yeah, uh, I don't think that. they were measuring it against the original Carrie. I think they decided that it was a cheap B tier, uh, you know, uh, cash in. Yeah, uh, and and you know the, the film did have some supporters. Amy Tobin of Village Voice being yes. one of them. Yeah, uh, I, I think she had um, put it on her top ten 
uh, for that year or threatened she to. She said in her review that she'd planned on it. I don't think she actually did. I said we have <laughs> yeah, to check I, back I, in. No. We got to do yeah. a circle back on that list for Amy and see where she landed. Maybe yeah. it got knocked off by idle hands. But still, but my biggest, it's, it's my biggest issue watching watching the film was the way it shoehorns the the Carrie uh, clips as flashbacks. Yeah, yeah because uh, who's and, who's seeing those flashbacks? Nobody but Sue Snell. Which uh, I, I I I audibly gasped. audibly uh, yeah I audibly gasped. <laughs> no, I, I said aloud. I give me a fucking break when yeah, the first Terry yeah. flashback is dropped. Yeah, uh, it, it feels it feels there are some stylistic choices that feel tacky. The use yeah. of black and white feels arbitrary. I hated that. I, I you don't need I, you don't I, need to do that for me. I don't need you to hold my hand and tell me when the powers are happening. I know the powers are happening because things are things are, are happening like. Lockers are opening and closing. I mean, you personally is the issue. But that's yeah. They don't. They didn't stay. It was just like. Yeah. I do want to talk about the relationship now, Paul. I hope you don't mind me saying this. I don't mind saying it for myself. You and I both have complicated relationships with our own mothers. No one needs to get into detail, <laughs> but we both. But we both do. Very unrelatable. Uh, yeah, uh, we're the only we're, ones. Yes. we're the Highlander <laughs> of that particular. <laughs> We have uh, a, a listener base of only people with perfect relationships. Oh God, it's, yeah. it's a very strange. They keep writing in, being like, "Yeah, so my mom, who I love, was telling me my perfect no. mother, who never yes. harmed me in any yeah. way." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do think I want to talk about. I wish they had stayed a little bit more. We didn't. What was great about Carrie and I, it's, it's, why am I comparing? Is because again, this was retconned into a sequel. Is that we did get to see more of this relationship with her mother, and we got. A, a slightly better understanding of what was going on with her. And then, of course, we got an Adam Sandler <laughs> song out of some of it, out of They're All Gonna Laugh at You, which is, I think, one of the, the Carrie's finest legacies is yeah. a shout out on an Adam Sandler um, album, clearly. But the um, they are all going to laugh at you, guys. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think we fully got we, we were dropped into their relationship. Jay Smith Cameron uh, from Succession was then immediately carted away and we were kind of left to wonder kind of what was going on. And then the craziest thing for me was this sudden DNA reveal. <laughs> oh, and yeah. I went what is that? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, and I thought to myself, obviously they weren't going to be discussing genetics and DNA in the original Carrie, but I was, and I don't, I haven't seen the original Carrie in so long, but did they mention her father at all? Does either of you in remember a Carrie? mention of Carrie White's father in the original? I don't remember either. And I, it's been a while, but I was wondering the same thing. And I was like, this is cuckoo bananas. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, I don't think Carrie too has any real interest in exploring those relationships. Uh, I think they're just sort of tacked on to, to link to, to make it film. look, but yeah, but we didn't even need that, which is a shame. Like she could still, because her powers are connected to her father. She, right. she didn't have to also have a mother that was unwell in a different way. It just felt like, uh, why do we need that? We don't need that connection. The connection's on well, with the father. There's there's an interesting right? there's an interesting theme that is brought up there. That uh, this is one of my my issues with the movie is that there's a lot of really interesting stuff that never actually comes to fruition. And one of them is that notion that like specifically, it's the male gene that is the telekinesis gene, but also it doesn't it doesn't appear in men. And there's obviously the writer trying to do something with like men pass down the trauma to women 
but like they don't have to deal with it right which i think is like a better writer would have made that a far more sort of fleshed out and interesting idea um, yeah it's it's there just to extrapolate yeah who yeah, is this or... guy spreading his really wonderful uh, STD <laughs> all around these United States? And once again, may I ask, why am I being saddled with a a uh, hero or anti-hero who is resentful of their gift? Yeah. Another, another element I, I felt wasn't really well-developed was the dynamic between Rachel and her step-parents or her foster parents. Yeah, who uh, were it, these it, people? It, 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 sets, it sets up a dynamic that's never really uh, explored. Yeah. Um, and it seems to change. So I, I think your complaint, Jen, was that uh, Rachel's relationship with the, the um, was is it Jeremy London or Jason London? Yeah, I think it's Jason, Jason London. It's Jason. It's, it's Jason. Okay. Yeah. The yeah. London. I, I felt like the development of that relationship felt organic enough, at least in movie shorthand, but it was the step-parent or foster-parent relationship that it, yeah. it, it didn't feel yeah fully uh, fleshed out. Yeah, we were just supposed to understand that classic trope of she's there so they can collect a check. I, I think, right, I think a lot of it, I, I mean, I get the sense that one of the kind of approaches that the film is trying to make is that she is the only real character in a world that is populated by tropes. And Except for her friend who passed away. She was a little tropey. Even her is a, even she's a trope, right? And even she, like, again, like... Rachel doesn't really mourn her. It's as though like she never really existed. Well, remember, we're we are we are told by Rachel herself that she cannot access her emotions. She doesn't cry. And and again, right. the accessing of those emotions is the powers. That's how yeah. that happens. And yeah, yeah, and yeah. in a and yeah. in a tattoo. But, um, I feel like friend is missing a scene or two. She goes from being like happy and glowing on the school bus yeah. to <laughs> yes. being sitting from a locker and then yes. jumping off the roof so that felt a bit, a bit uh, abrupt one thing i did like about the movie is the classrooms none of them have fluorescent lighting they're all like lit yeah. by desk well half the uh, school is, is in darkness those hallways yeah. my person and i kept saying why is this school so dark and i'm like i yeah. don't i don't I recall wish my school had been, had been i mean uh, i think a lot more <laughs> i thought a lot more nefarious deeds could have happened in the dark sadly but it was weird how dark the hallways there was some scene where she's talking to someone at in the hallway at a locker and literally the entire hallway behind her students are moving through it and it's it's entirely black and i went oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just trying yeah. to save some money over there well uh, there's also like you know speaking of kind of 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 the kind of overt trope nature of it i mean there's the scene where like our our like big bad jock guy is just like twirling his football during class and like does anybody actually do that or is that just a thing that happens in teen movies inexplicably right like that doesn't really happen in school. People don't like the, the football player doesn't like just twirl his football around while the teacher. I mean, fighting, in a right? school where you can get full on rape covered up, I think you are allowed to twirl yeah, your football right. around again, your like in the movie trope school. You I, can I, I like to think that was a tongue in cheek sort of touch. Yeah, but I feel like that's the thing is that I think the movie is trying to make the whole world that and care and like Rachel's the only real character in it. I yeah. don't like I agree my fundamental problem with this movie is that it's not well written. It is it is it is oddly thoughtful. It is a better movie because of other people who are making it a better movie than what is on the page. Um but I think the ideas and and the sort of uh, the sort of um, 
presentation of the ideas uh, from the page to the screen just like isn't good enough it's just not yeah. it's just not there like i a lot of it was me trying to be like is this what they were going for here and if so like it's not well baked it sometimes feels like an after school special yeah yeah, yes. yeah. And, uh, and like almost by design sometimes though too right like that's the thing yeah. is that it's it, it that's sort of what i'm i'm thinking is that it's well they got all the hits they got teen suicide don't do it yeah they've got uh, pr- promiscuities, sexual assault, yep. rape, yep. Uh, violence in other forms, uh, traumatic home life. The stoner, illicit parties. Like <laughs> but that's that's always the question as to what degree is it is it intended by the director or yeah. accidental? Um, and and I, again, I like to think that Cat Shea is an intelligent enough director that it was intentional. Although I think her problem again, going back to like Dance of the Damned, is she doesn't always have. A tight control over the um, the execution and and, and uh, uh, the I, there's a certain crudeness and lack of polish to her work. Uh, maybe Poison Ivy. Not they all feel like made for TV movies. Even Poison Ivy, which I love, they feel like these were these were straight to video. Even though Carrie too was. But do not. you think that's because she has not been given? the sort of Money. budget and, and <laughs> yeah. scope of project that you know a male director would have gotten. I think she I think she was a uh, a protege of uh, Roger Corman. Right. Uh, one of she was yeah, a number of, of female directors uh, that were Roger Corman protégés, Barbara uh, Peters Peterson being another who did mm-hmm. um Humanoids from the Deep, which is also yep. heavy on rape, curiously, <laughs> but not progressive about it the way that Carrie 2 is. Um yeah. Yeah. I will say I will say I'm 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 grateful that we didn't actually have to see the the only violence we saw was and, and now my memory's quickly fading as I'm even as I'm saying this was enacted by Rachel herself. We don't actually see any of the rape or assault unless my brain has already true. forgotten things. No. That's so true. on that I find that to be uh, very satisfying to to know that this happened but the only time we see any sort of violence is this revenge now do i wish that women could be seeking revenge for other reasons just for once in any motion picture you know yes and i know they're out there but they're few and far between i'll spit on your grave kill bill that's always like i just got raped or assaulted or someone tried to kill me and is now raising my baby like ah. but um but yeah. i do appreciate that the best all the best kills and all the best violence was at the very yeah. end i think scene is so so well done. It packs so much punch. And and it's yeah. I get the sense that, you know, it is a response to the Spur Posse story and other stories like it. Um, it, it feels like genuine rage and anger in response to uh, the Brock Turners of the world going mm-hmm. on with their lives and leaving, uh, you know, traumatized, uh, destroyed women in their wake. Being blamed for these actions on top of. Yeah. From from it. a from a from a like a filmmaking perspective as well though I I will say that like one of the problems with a carry movie of any sort is that like by definition the horror is all going to happen at the end because like right like when you if 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 the carry movie is a type now <laughs> then that's it all has yeah. to sort of escalate at the end and that's when the big horror scene is going to be um, so there is a little bit of that like you are kind of if you are if you are looking for a place where you can infuse kind of horror set pieces like this just doesn't work for that um and that's sort of an issue i think but at the same time i do like the way that um she 
puts in these like little moments of um you know sort of horrific and or high tension uh scenes i loved the whole like um and again this is the gen we were talking about off mic at one point but like there's there's a scream reference in this movie um like a direct reference to scream and and you know where it's the the call with the what's your favorite scary movie and all that sort of thing and um and so you get this little like scream moment that's sort of chilling which is weird because watching this movie it feels older than scream i know it it really does So I, I I didn't connect it to a Scream reference, even though I know that Scream came out three years earlier, yeah. right? 96. But in my mind was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> One movie that came to mind for me watching this was In the Company of Men by Neil mm. Butte. Oh, okay. 97, yeah. I think, two years prior yeah. to this. Um, and that feels uh, like like even more lived in exploration of, of misogyny and uh, you know, the kind of games men play purely for cruelty. Um, and I feel like the material was closer to the the writer and director in a bad way, um, based on things I've heard about Neil Butte, than with the Rage Harry too. Uh, so I don't know. There, there's something to be said for this kind of material being made by men who might have a more intimate understanding of the characters that they're depicting. Mm. Yeah, I would be curious to see. The 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 screenwriter is a man, right? Yeah. Yes. I would be curious to see various drafts of the script, if any. What what input Cat had? Yeah, as, that's as what a, I really want to know. As a female director, yeah, trying to be like, I can just hear somebody saying, "That's not what a woman would say. That's not what a woman would do. This is maybe not how a woman would. Have. This is just not." what would happen and trying to like apply that necessary. I suspect there's a DVD commentary out there somewhere, I'd, which I should probably watch I'd at some love point to get on that. I think a lot of that would, um, would, would come to light on a slightly lighter note. I do want to talk about the scenes where Sue Snell is visiting Jay Smith Cameron in this insane asylum. And I'm calling it that because it Arkham. does, it does. Arkham was hilarious. <laughs> My person goes like Batman. I go, Yes. Well, just, just like Batman, Florida, but actually Lovecraft. Don't do this to me now, John. <laughs> and Maine and Stephen King and etc. Sure, sure, sure. Do you know the Arkham sort of trajectory? Like how, like do, how that? Do uh, I know the yeah. Arkham trajectory? Yeah. Do you know like where Arkham originates and sort no, of? No, that's why I said Batman, and then you corrected me. <laughs> so Batman took it from Lovecraft. Okay. Uh, so Lovecraft. Arkham was, I think, a town in Maine or Massachusetts in Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Batman did Arkham Asylum, it's actually a nod to 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 Lovecraft. Okay. Um, the the sort of main Arkhamness of it is also a Stephen King thing because Stephen King is sure really inspired by 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 Lovecraft by the state of Maine, I'm just kidding. State of Maine and Massachusetts <laughs> yeah. and all that sort of, of thing. So yeah, the Arkham thing is not just a let's use a Batman reference is actually a, a much sort of deeper yeah. um, uh, lineage of, of the Arkham name. Well, that's there. very, that is helpful to know. I mean, what I was struck by the, uh, the, the 12 monkeys esque feeling of it all where yeah. there's no, people are just wandering around seemingly without uh, a single nurse or doctor in sight at what most of what I know about mental institutions is through 12 monkeys. It's, so is that not right? <laughs> or girl interrupted. It just seemed, I was like, everyone's just wandering around. Every, all. Asylum, every asylum in a nineties movie is that way. Young poisoner's <laughs> handbook, 12 yeah. monkeys, mirror. It's uh, crazy. Literally. But you know, 
uh, <laughs> I, as someone uh, as someone who is in therapy when needed, I can say crazy. But uh, yeah, no, 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 yeah. But yeah, so I, I just thought I just thought to myself, what's happening in this scene? And then the yeah. way that she escaped <laughs> was <laughs> wild. And I didn't fully understand it because I, I saw no evidence to suggest that the only person who would be able to reach Rachel was her mother, who she probably felt deeply abandoned by. Because even though as a child, it doesn't matter what's going on, when a parent leaves you, you feel abandoned, whether mm-hmm. it's death, whether it's being dragged in, out in the middle of the night and thrown into a paramedic, you just feel that. So I was struggling to understand this logic that, you know, who's going to be able to help her with her powers, this woman. And I was like, I don't think so. There's also some zany hijinks music that you hear very briefly. It was, was why. I laughed so hard. I went, I, I was like, is Mr. Bean coming into this facility? Is And yeah, so it was, again, it felt unnecessary. I don't, I, if we took, if we took all the stuff out with her mother, yeah. I, I, it would be fine because she ended up doing nothing. Nothing came of it. And then Sue got what I like to call the Nancy in part three of Nightmare uh, on Elm Street she got that treatment where you bring a quote unquote. Um, she was not a beloved character from the first movie, but a legacy like, character, a legacy character, and then you just yeah. kill him. Yeah, just well, no, but like wait till the end, and I've just kill him, like build yeah. him up to be something interesting and like redemptive, and then nah, yeah. fuck this person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think That's about it, she kind of deserved it. Like, yeah, yeah, she sucks. It's, it's cool that she had that like change of heart ish in the first one, but she also did torture Carrie White yeah. through like most of her, her. High, high school. So Sue Snell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It should no, have happened was, years ago. Can I do want to have, I do want to ask one weird question. I, I couldn't help but notice the, when they went to look at the old school, Sue and Rachel, my first thought was, where did they find a building that does look exactly like a school that was burnt down? And I kept staring at it thinking, this is definitely real, right? That, that we weren't, I don't know. I was really struck by that. I was like, I don't know who their location <laughs> scout, scout was, but hats off for finding a school that looked like it might have been destroyed by a teenager 20-something years prior in mm-hmm. a pyrokinesis. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I think I would imagine there's a combination of like practical effects and CGI going on there. They, I, yeah, not much though. Not a lot. Not a lot. My my biggest question was like, what is this 24 hour veterinary clinic all about, and why does it have like a neon sign outside that says like it's like, a bar? 24 hour. Like, is that a thing that actually exists there in are, the world? Because well, there I are 24 hour vet clinics, but uh, aren't they just covers for like drug dealers? I mean, those I mean, aren't if real. drugs like heart disease medication for dogs no absolutely no i think that's where like no. you hire hitmen i don't i don't i've think. actually had to take... Do they have the like the the neon opens no they don't but <laughs> it, a... <laughs> here in baltimore my 24-hour vet <laughs> is someone who uh has worked with uh film companies when they've come through baltimore so you go into this office and there's pictures of this vet with like here he is with a young ben affleck here he is with a young <laughs> it's very here he is with laura Dern. i'm like oh did he treat one of the dinosaurs from jurassic park what's happening <laughs> like when ben affleck had heartworm like what the i fuck? mean like in any movie that involved an animal of any kind my yeah. the, the vet that o- owns my dog's veterinary <laughs> clinic has is there's a picture with him he and treated I'm, the velociraptor when it got a spray i mean he's the one that got all that poop for her to 
put her arms in up to her elbows. He, that was that guy. That's what, he was the poop guy from wow. Jurassic Park. Wow. Yeah. The poop dealer. Yeah. So yeah. liberty I, pictures are always a red flag for me when I it, see them in a business. Agreed. I'm like, am I at a dry cleaner? Where am I? Why am I? Like, a, like a, a doctor's office or like a vet clinic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to treat your animal really well, just like I treated Ben Affleck's dog. I'm like, wait, what? No, I'm kidding. Like, if you're a dentist and you have celebrity pictures, that definitely means you gave them drugs. I've had my hands in all these mouths. Look at all these mouths yeah. I've had my hands in. Mm, no, that's, you, I like, the, 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 my explanation actually is, makes me feel better than, than that. Just letting but. you know that they're out there 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else. See, this is the, I wish I had taken better notes. I normally. Well, I want to, so, like, I, I actually do want to ask about, so, I think the strongest part of this movie is the performances. And oh, yeah. I think we also have to talk about Zachary Ty Bryan at some point. How he is a real life bad would. boy. Yeah, he real life bad boy. So hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay. So, Emily Burgle, I think, is the reason why this movie really does work. I think she's yeah. one of the strongest things about it. And I love this performance. And, like, this is the thing that when I saw it, there's like in 99, there was two things about it that I was like, because I also went into into it thinking like, oh, it's going to be trash. And I just want to kind of see a trash movie. And walked out being like, that was so much better than I thought it was going to be or had any right to be. And the two things that really sort of like stuck out to me were sort of the climactic finale and then also yeah. Emily Burgle's performance, which I think is genuinely, genuinely wonderful and um, would love to have seen more of her in motion pictures but she's had a great career, so I'm not complaining. But um, what do you guys think? Oh, I agree completely. I think yeah. she's the heart of the movie. Uh, and uh, You mean the heart, like her tattoo, the heart of the movie? Yeah, no. Or... She's, okay, you know, so like just she's the, the emotional of the core of the movie, and I, I cared okay. about her character. I cared about her fate. I cared about what happened to her. I cared yeah. about how the other characters treated her. Uh, and and that, that engaged me throughout. Um, I, you know, it, when I saw the running time after the first 10 minutes, I was dreading the remaining 90, uh, <laughs> but it, it got easier to watch because of uh, the degree to which I became invested in, in that character. Yeah. And I think Jason London is well cast as well. Uh, it's always interesting to me when actors in their mid to late twenties or older playing high school students. Yeah, Well, that uh, was like such a nineties. We're talking about nineties tropes. Yes. I mean, Gabriel yeah. Carteris being the most egregious, <laughs> egregious example, a 29 year old woman playing a 16 year old on Beverly Hills, not my God. Yeah. Although but, I should, but it, we should love to see it. I think the film was overall well cast. I think Zachary Ty Bryan was very plausible. Well, Paul, Paul, do you? Well, well, yeah, I think he was method acting, but go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Turns out he might have been method well, I acting. This, I know nothing about him. Oh, we will. Well, hold on. I will talk about um, I think I was I was very. Wait, wait, hold on one second. I actually just to, to Paul's point real quick. I agree. He's actually quite good in this movie. For a very good reason. You'll see. There's more. All right. (laughs) Uh, I very much, I enjoyed her as well. I went into this kind of acting like a jerk. I remember what I said to John was, I've seen this movie before. All I remember thinking is the main, the star, the main character, Rachel slash Emily. I remember her thinking she had terrible hair, which I know is so shallow and awful, but I just remember being so taken out of some things by I couldn't stop staring her at her hair. hair. Does I fuck. couldn't it, it stop. It really is bad. It's it doesn't. I was like, what if they? What's hair? I couldn't stop staring at it. But um, yeah. which I know is. Are you talking about Rachel's hair? Yeah, it makes me sound sound I, like I like sh- I like that she was not a traditionally uh you know yes that's not my problem. 
And I felt, you know, I had the same thought uh, when I watched Mirror Mirror like a month ago. I love that. Movie. I, I didn't know it was. I didn't know it was directed by a woman, but midway through, I, I felt like it, it. It occurred to me this might be directed by a woman because of the casting, because it, it doesn't feel like this film was cast with somebody's dick. Same with Carrie. No, Joe. and I'm not saying like why doesn't she have shiny hair? I'm I'm here for shiny hair. No, 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 no. It was some. They didn't have someone on set who knows how to deal with curly hair, and I could Correct. tell. I could tell I that there was an inconsistent. This is not. This is the. This. This is why people come to this podcast. They come for my takes on the economy, and they're coming for my <laughs> takes on, on curly hair care. And again, I. It sounds very silly to have been taken out of it every once in a while because I would look and I'd be like, oh, somebody fucked up her hair again today. Come mm. on, you guys. But other than that, yes, she was also a believable. You know how like the the weird or the dark girls movies have such a tough time making at least me believe that this person might really be an artist or might really be tortured or might really have something going on inside of them. And I really believed that that. Emily Burgle, I've already forgotten, as Rachel. Emily Burgle, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Was someone who could actually be this artist, this kind of gothy dark girl. Oftentimes it feels like a caricature. And like, I'll, I'll just reference um, is it not She's All That? Nope. What's the one with. Uh, um, Rachel Lee Cook? Rachel yes. Cook. I'm, I never believed her as this artist. I never, ever believed for one second that this person just wanted to sit in her basement and paint all the time. I never found that to be believable at all. But in this movie, I'm like, yes, I can see this girl just wanting to sit around and draw on her sketchbook all the time and listen to dark music. And yeah. Be- and, I, and I think John's point about all the other characters being like tropes. I think the director is commenting on normies and privilege and you know, Rachel kind of lives in a shitty house, whereas the party at the end is in this uh, really big house and they're all yeah, like a different universe. Like, a, yes. yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. I, so yeah. I think there's like, a, you know, a comment on privilege as well. well as it's gender. also I my person actually pointed this out. And, you know, there's the scene in the classroom. Another thing I, I often can't stand in these teen movies is I know that you can go to a big high school and not know somebody. But it did feel like suddenly Rachel and what was this character's name? Jason London's character. Who cares? As if they'd never seen each other. As if they've had this class together and they are just meeting for the first time. But they they sort of connect or have their first moment while discussing Romeo and Juliet. And then the movie does become yeah. a version of Romeo and Juliet, which is fine. We were doing that. We well, did 10 a- Things I Hate About You. We were doing we were doing that. That's my person like pointed that out. Of tropes, though, like that that it, that it's almost it's almost again, and I, it needs a better writer to to really make this obvious. But that I think it's signaling those tropes so much, as if to say everything about this movie is artificial except for her, right? And yeah. and like that's that's how you should understand the world that she's kind of inhabiting here. And, I like and even down to like as well. What did you say? I like that she's kind of goth. Yes, 100%. yeah, but like not, but not like all in goth. Just like one of those, you yeah. know, like a goth. Dilettante. Incidentally, goth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> goth by proxy. By the <laughs> way, uh, Jen, I think the person you want to put on blast is named Susie Mazarisi Allison. Um, is this she's the, the hair? Only person in the <laughs> hair department that I have on IMDb here. So. Susie, I don't know. She's I... listed as assistant hairstylist, but there's no one listed as chief hairstylist. Because so. that person quit because she couldn't. She well, didn't. and also Susie has an actual picture on her IMDb page, so you know she have curly hair. She's done. Uh nope. Didn't think so. Nope. Didn't think so. <laughs> 
Should, I don't know if we, I, I mean, I want to talk about the end, not because I think we're coming to an end, but because I find this ending. I mean, again, I'm focused on the wrong things. I'm focused on like what freshman in, in college has this incredible dorm room that Jason Jeremy London is given and he's allowed to have a dog in it. And I'm just, I couldn't, the second we got to his dorm room, I went, where is this? There's this, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. so, come on guys. But wait, yeah. is he, is it? Does he go to King University or is it King King College? I don't know. I think it's a, one of them is named after Stephen King, right? So like it's either it's either the college he goes to or the high school they're at. I can't remember which one it is, but I think it's the Stephen I King think reference. it's the college because it's yeah. like King, it's, yeah, it's King Kingman college. or King College yes. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Biggest that that dorm room is bigger than my own bedroom. Well, so. Stephen King paid for it, so this guy's got money. Yeah, you know. so. Um. Let's talk about Zachary Ty Bryan then real quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, this is a very strange prophetic casting. At this point, where were we in Home Improvement? Because this is obviously older Zachary Ty Bryan. He's not That's a kid anymore. So this was where we were either nearing the end of the show or the show had just ended. But I think it was over. I think it ended in the late 90s. But well, hold on. Um, it ended in 99. So, okay, so this might have been his this... first... As its project, uh, as oh. its ending, and he can't even get top billing. He just was on a successful no. sitcom for what did it run for? Six, seven seasons. Which... He was he was a bit part. He had a he had a he had a, a like a walk on part in an episode of Buffy in like season six. I remember, like, and he played a douchebag yeah. then as well. He's got he resting douchebag face. He is a douchebag. He is a rapey douchebag in Buffy and, as well. Well, yep. Go ahead. Um, drop it. So drop I'm that. Gonna, drop that. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Paul, please. if you don't know, let's talk some true crime. That's your. Oh, that's sorry. your jam. Sorry. Uh, let's see. In October 2020, he was held on several charges, including felony strangulation, misdemeanor charges, and fourth degree assault, and interfering with making a police report after an apparent argument with his girlfriend in their apartment in Lane County, Oregon. February 2021, Brian pleaded guilty to two of the charges while six others were dismissed. He was sentenced to three years of bench probation or to partake in a batterer intervention program and to have no contact with the victim. And then in June 2023, the Hollywood Reporter revealed that Brian was accused of running a fraudulent agriculture technology startup scheme. Four sources told the publication that the scheme involved them giving Brian individual payment amounts ranging from $5,000 to $25,000 in exchange for fake contracts, which actually had no value. The amount of money Brian earned from the scheme is said to have totaled close to $50,000. On July 18th or 28th, 2023, Brian was arrested for domestic assault again in Eugene, Oregon, and was just arrested once again uh, last week, I think. Well, not Mm -hmm. a good year. A good year years, for him. Uh, not, a good not a big year. But what he does in the in in between is goes on Fox News and talks about the problem of like wokeness. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. didn't, uh, didn't um, the, uh, the Tim Allen's wife on that show also Patricia something Richardson? Richardson? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't she also like a Fox News? Case, oh no, no. Maybe. You're thinking of you're thinking of um, the, the 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 mom from the middle. Um, everybody, no, it's not everybody. Oh, it's Malcolm yeah. in the Middle, Mom. That, uh, no, everybody loves Raymond. Everybody loves right. Raymond, Mom. Um, what's her yeah. name? Yeah, no, I Patricia Heaton. Patricia Heaton. Yes, Patricia Heaton. Thank you. Yeah. Heaton. She's also a. Yeah. a I, I, cons- yeah. I confuse her or conflate her with. They all look the same. They all have the same haircut. I, Patricia Richardson is actually pretty awesome. Um, okay, I love her. my apologies to Patricia. No, no, yes, okay. and then like, and what I t- said to John, and I, and I, I. I don't have like the information in front of me so maybe i'm making this up but tim allen 
officially distanced himself from Zachary. And, Which, and like, when this, you've lost you know, him the, guy, the guy who went to prison for drugs <laughs> is like, this is a bridge <laughs> too far for me. Yeah. Yeah. This guy, it's, hard to it's, believe. It's pretty bad. Yeah. You know, I guess my question is... Uh, what is Jonathan Taylor Thomas up to? What's JTT up? Just, li- <laughs> just living a quiet life. That's my How's Mark? Has Mark sorted Mark's, things out? Because Mark still... was kind of a fucking mess. Yeah. yeah. And, well, that, another fake goth. But um, it's almost shocking that there's no Jonathan Taylor Thomas podcast. Like he seems, he just seems like there perfect. are all these with all these. Nobody wants to do a home improvement rewatch with no, JTT. I don't think anybody wants to do that. Mm. But um, you know, well, I, I, you know, what's I'm, I'm what I'm always confused about, and I never quite understand is this home improvement. And I know that he wasn't like a main character, but I have to imagine he made some money, and it was of the time yeah. when you were making money off of that a show sitcom. was fucking huge. You should still. I don't. I'm sure it's huge. running somewhere. You should still be getting residual checks because they they, they had those deals then. How we should do something with Haley Joe Osment? Oh, he's good. Haley Joe Osment's a good, funny person now, and he does stuff. Yeah. He's great, right? Yes, I'm so out of the loop. Haley Joe, did you see? <laughs> did you not? Sorry to bring true crime up again. I hate to do this to you. Did you not see extremely evil, shockingly evil? No, no, he no, no shockingly no. evil and vile. He has a part in that as well, but he's actually okay. done. He's very funny. He's done a lot of funny stuff. Haley Joel Osment yeah, is like. He's great. He seems, he, I, I, he seems well adjusted. He did. Yes. yes. He came out of his childhood acting time. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I think I think the, uh, you know, it, it's maybe a slightly safe, safer landscape for child actors now in the 21st century. If there's anything in the industry that's improved, maybe. I hope that. so. Unless you worked on a Nickelodeon show with uh, what's his face, the guy from head of the class. Well, speaking of also then this this movie, there's also something very interesting to say about like Mina Suvari and uh, Hollywood and sexualization of young people and like the fact that this movie and American Beauty happened in the same year. And, That's crazy. And sort of like what happened. This movie, American Beauty, American and uh, American Pie, right? That's the Mina Suvari trilogy right here. Did and like, American Beauty come out after this? Was this one of those yeah, things was, where American she Beauty was an Oscar bait at the end of the year? Right. So she had. It wasn't one of those things where you know you like film a movie and then no. oopsie, it comes out because they see no. that you've got Oscar buzz. Okay. No, but they did release another movie that she was in called American Something Else that was actually filmed a couple of years earlier. Um, yeah, they do like because they do like to do that. They're running the Minasuvari uh, bandwagon yeah. in 2000. So there was actually three movies that came out in 99 uh, starring Minasuvari that had American as the first word, uh, which is just bizarre. But um, yeah, there's something about sort of her story and the way that she was sort of um, overly sexualized and uh, badly mistreated on sets on various movies around this time. Mm. And sort of the way that I think this movie and then American Beauty form kind of bookends of like that story is, I mean, yes. someone who's good at writing about movies should write an article or a, a story, you know, a paper <laughs> about Paul, that. that's you. That's not I me. Think that's a, that's you. There's, there's some stuff to mind there. Yeah, I do think that for her only scene, she was strangely charming. Not strangely, she was in in the brief moments we spent with Mina Savari in this film, she was very charming and I can see why she was was cast in all the other films she was cast in. She was just this adorably engaging person. Um, I do think that I do, I don't like this idea 
that the only reason why she killed herself is because this, it kind of makes a decision like that. And maybe that is, a, maybe that does happen often, but you know, I do think it's a little dangerous to, to, to suggest that a this single action could be the driving force behind that, but maybe that does happen, but I don't uh, I don't think we learned enough about her character. We don't. For that That's possible. the thing. We don't. And at one point, when when Rachel says she was so happy that day, I said to myself, "Well, you know, when you decide to kill yourself, that's usually people are described as being quite happy on that day. Most of the time, people have this unrealistic idea yeah. of what suicide is like, and most of the time, when someone makes that decision, they are generally happy I, on. I that actually, day. I actually really appreciated that because she doesn't fall into the typical like suicide trope right of the of the of the depressed high schooler and you kind of get the sense in that one scene on the bus that the two of them are sort of like the outcast kind of loser their thing girls. was really cute now did i need rachel to walk up to this body and wipe her dead friend's blood on? i didn't need any of that no. yeah i certainly didn't need any of that but again I, I know what ca- I did really like that there was in terms of the writing and and who knows the part where she, where she's trying to explain Rachel is trying to explain to Jeremy Jason London <laughs> what it's like to no longer see her friend to think to see the back of someone she goes I used to see her I think it's in the coffee shop right after they bring the dog to the vet mm. she's like I used to see her I used to think I saw her and then she would turn around it wouldn't be her but then sometimes it would be her but now it will never be her and I was like that's that is like that is such well, a that is a that way happens, that happens before she jumps off the roof yes I know I, I know that we see this scene but the way that she's describing the way that she's going to miss her friend is this very specific example that we were privy to. But in general, when thinking about losing someone, you do think of these little strange ways, the big ways come later. And I kind of liked that conversation, that, that little snippet of conversation where you're like, it sounds strange, but if, you know, this is a small thing that I'm, I realize is no longer going to be happening in my life because my friend is dead. You see, there are a lot of little things in the, in, in Carrie too. The more you think about, if you like this movie, guys, (laughs) (laughs) I think I I don't know what happened to me. Why I was like, you know, I think I was, I think I was reacting to the 1999ness of it all. And and again, it's it's so fucking like some of the pants in this movie are just unforgivable. Like it, it is, there is, there is, there's a lot of 1999 happening in this movie i mean again it is the the most 99 movie ever made yeah. and um <laughs> and that's sort of part of what's charming about it i i just it has a lot of flaws there's a lot of things that like do not go right here the fact that cat shea was replaced and then she had like two weeks to prepare and like make a new movie i mean it shows right like there's there's obviously this could have been something really cool and great and interesting what we got is better than I think any of the ingredients suggest it should be, and it's and it's actually it's a it's a worthwhile movie. Like it really is. It's there's there's things about it that are good enough that it's worth people seeing. I think the 1999ness of it, and, and this applies to like you know Urban Legend, which I think was 1998. Oh, a lot with, of uh, with the Noxzema girl with Gayheart. Films from the late 90s that uh, who's. Uh, um, Ghost style, I think, would would have been unforgivable then. The more uh, the more time that passes, the more uh, excusable it is. I feel like because it feels uh, um, it feels vintage. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wait, it didn't at the time. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, vintage and also nostalgic because I do recall yeah. I, the very first scene when we get to the high school, there's definitely some hacky sack. You got to have some hacky oh, yeah. sack in this. <laughs> and, you know, looking at the way these kids were dressed, this was a year after I graduated from high school. I graduated in 98 and my person yeah. is younger than me. And I said, look, it's my high school experience as if it was a snapshot from the 50s, which well, at this point it feels like. But it is wild to see it. You rare. I rarely do. I get to see my youth reflected back at me in a way that <laughs> it was realistic. And obviously, it was made at the time, so it's going to be realistic. But I was like, that and does we, look like my high school. That looks like my high school. When classrooms had sixteen millimeter projectors, which is something I totally. <gasps> yep. I thought time. of that. I when I thought of you, I thought of that I, I I was like, give me an overhead projector, and we'll film, be in, and we'll be in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wheel in a horrible TV with a VCR and show me the never-ending story in Spanish, and we're in business. <laughs> so, so from a horror perspective, let's talk about the climactic scene. Okay. Um, I, I I think this this whole sequence is like so effective, so well choreographed. They used every inch of that house, every they, inch of that house, and God bless and, them. And you it. feel you feel the like ungodly revenge happening, and it is just it's it's gross and fucked up and like incredibly satisfying. And um, I just. I love it. <laughs> I always love CDs as a weapon. Yes. They come in peace. Yeah. Yeah. That house was crazy. I have to assume that was a set. Do we know? I mean, I know they destroyed it. So it's like, yes, of course. But it, that didn't seem like all the, all, the, all the screens in that house were insane. Yeah. Like, no, I think the house itself was dated real. even for the time. Yeah. yeah. Reminded me like, of the uh, house from Amityville. It's about time. It, it felt like the eighties, yeah. Yeah. Those that that glass, those I'm obsessed with those cubed glass. Even I'm obsessed with them. Anytime I see that, I get excited. And what do like, you think is the best? Aside from the CD, uh, the CD death, which is obviously an all timer. Um, what do you think is the best uh, and most effective? It's probably Sue's death. Yeah. Did you get you got that's a twofer. Yeah. Did you get a twofer. That's a yeah. twofer. Through the uh, people, like uh, like Dario Gento's opera, mm-hmm. <laughs> the pool thing. I'm, I don't know. I feel like that. Well, the Rachel Blanchard death though is like that's fucking but awesome. Would that have killed her? So fucking gross. Like I don't know. Who cares? I don't, I don't know. I <laughs> Maybe just, she like also blows her brain up. I don't fucking know. It, but yeah. Oof. Blown at her eyes like that. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Um. Yeah. That. That got me, but man, and also when she like when she how does she shoot? No, she like spears Zachary Ty Brian in the balls, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, those mm-hmm. that those three at Spends the end. Candles right into the pool. Yeah. Yeah, right behind him. I said, "Ooh, there yeah. goes yeah. there goes balls." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's That's pretty good. rough in contrast with everything that leads up to it. Uh, I don't yes. think there's anything that graphic in the film until the climactic twenty minutes. But that's the rage. Yeah, the rage happening. Into the rage. Yeah, yeah. Went from anger to rage, and yeah. Um, does do all the carries have to die at the end? Is, <laughs> is that a that's, carry rule? That's the worst part. You soon to tell. I feel like. Yeah, and I guess depending on where her father is, that's 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 it. I don't know. He could be out making all sorts of little carries all all across these United States. We don't. know. I wanted them to live and just kind of run off together, and and so did I. Let her get away with it. Honestly. I feel like we'll never know because this flopped. So 
Uh, yeah. There will likely be a Carrie reboot, but there no was direction. A Carrie there was. Yeah. There you go. With, was it Abigail? Not Abigail Breslin. <laughs> the, other, the, last the other one. The other one. They always look alike. They look so much like it's not Abigail Breslin. It's the one who was in Let the Right One In, right? Yeah. Uh, the American version. Is. Yep. It's and and kick ass. Um, God damn! What is her name? Uh, Chloe Grace Moritz. Chloe Grace Moritz. Yeah, I always get them both confused, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. I love her, but I haven't seen the remake. I think I watched it, and it's fine. Julianne Moore. Let me in. I mean, come on. No, no, I I actually read the the uh, the other Carrie the Carrie reboot, which we don't need because the original was just fine. Everybody, stop rebooting. Good movies. It does meet my low bar qualification for movies of having Judy Greer in it. So, you know. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the the Judy Greer cinematic universe. <laughs> yes. So Where yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, this is um this is an interesting That's one. it. That's the rage carry two or carry That's to the rage, the rage or rage against the carry machine. Yeah. yeah. Um I yeah, go see this movie if you haven't already. I think that's my that's my recommendation. Yeah, I think you should see it. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it. I'm streaming it, on too many platforms. Where did you find it, Jen? I think I watched it on HBO. Uh, it is Max? on HBO Max for free. Is it have HBO Max? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I rented it from uh, Voodoo, which is probably the least used. Ooh, <laughs> no, I love Voodoo is where I will go when I've exhausted every resource. Voodoo yeah. usually yeah. will. I used to really like Voodoo because you could watch a two minute preview of uh, of any title. Yeah. So if it was a shitty transfer, you'd know before buying a rental. Uh, whereas now there's just no way to know what the transfer looks like until you've you've already rented. Oh, they got that's how they get you. They they were like, we're, I think we're losing money. How? And they're like, well, we're letting everyone know how shitty it's going to be. So we got oh, there are tons of movies. Tons of movies advertises HD that are literal like VHS transfers. Amazon especially uh, guilty of this. They don't care. <laughs> they don't fucking care. John, yeah. isn't there's a question that you ask the guests? I do. Well, because Paul's a first time guest, so yeah. we get to ask him this question. So yeah. Paul, um, what is your um, favorite? movie from the year 1999 topsy-turvy whoa you said that so quick you said that as quick as as i said jawbreaker american movie is a close second oh yes i like all these these are all great answers okay um tell me tell me tell me topsy-turvy why uh it's probably the best period piece i've seen Mm -hmm. it's the best film about um entertainment and building something creating something from conception to the uh, premiere uh it, it's so colorful um mm. and it really feels uh you know you watch a period piece hoping to travel in, in time to whatever period's being depicted on screen and oftentimes you yeah. feel like you're watching like a costume show and topsy-turvy feels so alive in every corner of the frame and I love Mike Lee as a filmmaker. I love mm-hmm. his process. I love mm-hmm. how he uh, develops his screenplays. Um, you know, each each uh, each film is developed developed collaboratively in a series of um, improv sessions. So the screenplays are built with the cast. And most of his films have been about the British working class, set in like contemporary London. And Topsy Turvy at the time was a departure from everything he'd done prior. Yeah, but it yeah. still feels very much like. A Mike Lee film because you feel you're there. Uh, I love it so much. When I bought it on Blu-ray, 
like four or five years ago, I popped it in my Blu-ray player at midnight just to look at the transfer. And uh, <laughs> I ended up watching the whole thing. And I was stoned. in the morning. Yeah. It's not the sort of film that typically you'd watch stoned, but I nope. could not stop watching it. <laughs> <laughs> From midnight to 3 a.m., no less. It is, that, yeah, it is, it is a long movie. It is not a fast-paced sort of uh, in-your-face kind of movie. So um, no, no, that's not for everybody. But uh, it, it actually turned me on to Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, so I was going to ask that if you were hey. a Gilbert and Sullivan fan before or after. But I saw oh, I saw Topsy Turvy in 1999 when it came out. Oh, uh, yeah. so I was, I was 18. Um, okay, and uh, but it, it just seeing it, seeing the uh, Gilbert Sullivan uh, comic operas recreated. Uh, in, in their their flamboyance and their colorfulness, um, it, it's uh, it really it, it br- brought life or breathed life in, into the music in a way that maybe I, it wouldn't have um, appealed to me uh, had it had I not watched that. Well, we covered that movie a few episodes ago, and I love it as well. So yeah. um, it's great when they have that in their, their back pocket, Jen, where it's yeah. just like, here's yeah. the answer to the question you just asked. Yeah. Uh, here's a harder question Ooh. than Paul. Um, and again, this is not something that you have to have a real answer for, but just the one that you you know yeah. bust out at parties. Uh, what's your favorite movie of all time? I know. For a long time, it was, uh, for decades, it was the Vem Vendors film Until the End of the World. Oh, I love that movie. That's a great movie. Yeah. Great soundtrack. I, I think, yeah. I think I've sort of like, um, I've, I've, I've divorced that film. At the time I saw it in the 90s, it meant a lot to me. It represented sort of like the antithesis of my life at the time. Um, you know, I, I feel like I've grown beyond it. It feels more dated. Uh the technology, the aesthetic of it. Um, but I still love the soundtrack. The soundtrack is like my Fucking favorite, cool. one of yeah. my favorite albums of all time. Um, like now I would say like after hours is probably that or, or bad boy Bubby, um, oh from us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic, Paul and yeah. I had like a brief, but glorious movie watching, um, club. Okay. And he showed me Bad Boy Bubby, and I did love it. There's an upsetting cat scene, which I'm I'm, I'm one of oh. those. I'm one of those. But sure. other than that, I sure. very much enjoyed Bad Boy Bubby. It is truly not for everyone. Yeah, there's a lot of upsetting stuff in that film. Yes, and, but uh, like in general, it, I took five years to get distribution in the U.S. And I cried. And, <laughs> yeah, audiences uh, at film festivals uh, were um, mixed in their responses to it. Uh, the cat scene in particular um, spurred a lot of walkouts. It looks very realistic, and I am worried that it might have been. It's, it's a real, it's a real dead cat that they use. Right, but we don't. But they didn't kill the cat. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Right, it's but... pre-killed. Yeah, it is yes. pre-killed. Yeah, yeah. pre-dead. Pre-dead. I came out from like a shelter or something. But yeah, but I did cry. It made me cry. It's a lovely. Yeah. It's a strangely lovely film. I thought. Well, good answers. Thanks, Paul. Uh, and thanks for joining Great us. Great answers. Is, is, is there anything that you want to you want people to 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 know about you, or like how to find you, or how to find your work, or what are you working on? What's go, what's 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 going on in your I'm writing for podcasts these days? Uh, I have a project that I've been trying to sell with a friend, um, and uh, other than that, I like to I like to remain enigmatic. Uh, <laughs> I'm on Instagram at the Paul of Haynes. Yes, for year for a while I was on private, but now I'm all public. I'm out there. 
Mm-hmm. I, I took myself off private because I'm employed. In, in Twitter's dying days, you put yourself. Sure did. I was trying to hide from some people, but I'm not hiding from them anymore. Well, you can find the show at the podcast on uh, the Twitter or the X or whatever. And you can email us at 1999 at me. Paul, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. It was fun to hang out. Jen. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, bah. Oh, you know what? Here we go. This next this next motion picture is really going to make you lose your head. <laughs> that was Heads will nice. roll. Heads will roll. See if you can figure that one out, kids. Uh, and look out for frogs. And we'll see you 